Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Jack Inslee is about Quiet Storm, the Ron Artest story, currently available on Showtime. It's a documentary, I'm using documentary very loosely. It's a documentary I enjoyed quite a bit. I wonder if you'll like it if you're not a basketball fan. Find out for yourself with Showtime, a network that you could watch stuff on. We have a Patreon account. Please go to youmeetthemeverybody.com in our About page to find it. Or in the podcast description, you can find a link there. I don't know if you guys know this, but um, The Malice in the Palace definitely cost Ron Artest a lot of money. And producing a new podcast for 12 years is, is maybe the same amount of money that cost uh, Ron Artest. So uh, every little bit counts. Without further ado, Jack Inslee and I on Quiet Storm. I'm ready to do this. I am very glad that you made me watch the Ron Artest Meta World Peace documentary. And I'm using Quiet documentary storm. very loosely. Yeah. <laughs> so you liked it? I loved the story. Okay. And the longer it's been since I finished it, the less I like it. But that didn't really mean I, Oh my god, yeah. Because I this is the perfect sweet spot for me because like I remember the Mouse of the Palace, but I wasn't watching the NBA regularly at the time. And by the time I started to get back into the NBA, he was pretty much gone. So yeah. it was just a footnote of this weird guy that was like so, sort of like taking the Rodman mantle, sort of, um, but probably a better post career track record. And probably, definitely. <laughs> Well, Rodman could literally change the world, so could it's, it's yes. not over yet. The my money's on our test, but <laughs> it's one of these things where like you do any research as soon as it's done, you're like, well, why wasn't that included, or like, why didn't they do more on this? Because like most every sports documentary in 2020, this was produced by Ron Artest. Um, was it? I didn't. Yes, I didn't know it that. was. Huh. It was produced by Ron Artest people and Ron Artest. Our test media group. So I should preface this by saying, A, I'm from New York. B, I uh, I was not only a Knicks fan, but like kind of sort of a St. John's fan. If I had to choose a college team, really? St. John. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm from New York. Like a lot of this stuff was very close to me. Okay. And we, as a Knicks fan, I'm just, this is kind of like pre-context for where I'm coming. We wanted our test bad in that draft. And very famously, uh, we chose Frederick Weiss, who's best known for being dunked on by Vince Carter in the Olympics, back to the Vince Carter doc. Um, and this was a huge mistake mm -hmm. for the Knicks at the time. And I was very into the NBA. I mean, I've always been very into the NBA. My freshman year of college is when Malice at the Palace happened. I remember that very well. I was a Ron Artest fan. Um, yeah, so... Not only that, I grew up loving specifically like Queen's rap. Um, so these rapper cameos mm -hmm. were big deals for me. Like they had Capone from Capone and Noriega in this, which is just insane. I haven't seen that guy on camera in years. So they really did a thorough job. And I guess it makes sense now knowing that our test was involved in the production that they got access to all of these people. So for me, that was super exciting. Well, even so... Even though it was a Ron Artest documentary, it kind of said Ron Artest was a bad person. Yeah. And that's nice to see. Oh, for sure. See, he was willing to take his demons on, you know, yeah, in the spotlight in this doc. And though, okay, though they did 
go deep into that one aspect of it, which is like a super important thing, the mental health aspect of it. They don't go nearly as far with the domestic violence stuff. Like they, they don't ignore it, but they sort of brush it under the rug. They make his career sort of seem like it's over after the Lakers win in 2010. And he plays for another like seven years. Dude, they, he plays for the Knicks for yeah. a quick second. Yeah. They don't talk about Phil Jackson's role in any of this other than the like, they allude to Phil Jackson. There's no Phil Jackson uh, camera time. There's the most interesting narrative story we get from the basketball perspective is his is Jermaine O'Neal with the Pacers sort of skipping over the entire baby bulls thing. Like th- there's a really cool anecdote about him working at circuit city before the season started, which is Dude, super interesting. One of the f- craziest things to have happened in the NBA, I think. But like that yeah. alone should have been like, that should be a sitcom. <laughs> Ron rookie Ron Artest working at circuit city and just the hijinks that ensue. See, I, I didn't feel like this suffered in, uh, terms of objectivity necessarily. I mean, like, the angle, the interesting angle here, you're asking, I guess you're missing all these little side stories that we could have gone on. But like at large, the story told felt objective, felt honest and felt poignant. Um, It felt objective, but it was not objective. Um, Why? Because he produced it. <laughs> yes. OK. Yeah. I mean, I felt like they did. I was surprised that they did cover the domestic violence. I remembered it happening. Mm-hmm. Um, they certainly could have spoke a bit more about it, but I mean, like you know, they showed the police report. They they, they did they didn't ignore it, which I was surprised by. Sure. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I was very surprised at large that this was such a good doc. When I saw that there was a Ron Artest doc, I'm like, really? Yeah. Someone produced a Ron Artest doc that's two fucking hours long. I mean, it, it's and like this is better than a lot of thirty for thirties. Thirty for thirty recently to me has been dropping the ball dramatically. Oh god, yes, yes. And no, so this was good. This was produced very well. Yeah, and yeah. much much better than the Vince Carter doc. Yeah, which was a different ad for a city, but like this had so much interesting stuff. Like I had no idea he had LA Gear uh, sponsorship or whatever. Yeah. I didn't even know LA Gear was like doing that. Yeah. Like that is fascinating stuff to me. Like I want maybe this is just my problem with most every sports documentary is like there's all this all these numbers being thrown around about how much the money was like how he, how he was fined or how he lost a year's salary after the Malice in the Palace, right? Okay, but like how much was he making per year? How much were these deals worth? Later on, he donates a ton of money. How so? Like, how much did he make overall? How much did he keep? How much did he lose? That stuff is super important to me. So there's the objectivity that's missing, and that's what happens when you're involved in the making of your own doc because you're not going to ask. But th- th- here's the conundrum: like, a doc with that level of objectivity does not get the access. That's such bullshit, though. I gotta disagree with you on that. The- well, it's just true, though. Now he just won't. You know now, what I mean? Like, well, I got to disagree because now at Ron Artest's point, this was made after his playing career was over, by the way. We should have made that mm-hmm. clear. And mm-hmm. if this was made like during his first five years, we would have all that and he'd be very open with it because that's just how it is. Now, mostly thanks to guys like LeBron and Kobe, LeBron has his own entire production company. So does – that's why this exists. So does Metal World Peace. The, the new industry is your own storytelling, which is smart. 
Don't get me wrong, but it's not really a documentary. It's just long form commercials. Okay, but devil's advocate there, like players having control over their stories does help in like the way like Ron Artest's career was a case study in being painted as a two-dimensional villain. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what I mean? So it's like there's two sides to that. Oh, I completely agree. I'm glad that the Ron Artest doc was made in 2003, he would have been, you know, a thug with a temper. Sure. And we would not have gotten interviews with his like legendary dad or these rappers he grew up with. Like we wouldn't have gotten that access and that uh, hindsight. I think I think everyone because wants to talk. No, I disagree with that. I think everyone wants to talk at that point. But they, the, the, the kind of journalist who would try to do that story might not even know where to go. That's you know fair. what I'm saying? I do know they what you're saying. That's fair. Yeah, they wouldn't know which breadcrumbs to follow or where to even start. Like the first 30 minutes of this doc is a Queensbridge, New York City documentary. Which yeah, was which awesome. was great. I was like, dude, this it could stay here forever. We don't even need to get to the NBA. Let's just stay in Queens mm-hmm. in the 90s. This is amazing. But I don't think any other sports doc objective journalist would have gone there. See, I keep going back to the arguably the greatest sports documentary of all time, Hoop Dreams, which is about two high school kids. Slash right, college that, that works. That works because the you know who's who's fighting to give up that axe. Like there were the stakes were lower. I don't disagree, but I'm just thinking that it's disappointing that once you hit a certain level, the axis almost disappears. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's things, a new yeah. thing, but I understand why it's the thing because for so long athletes had no say in how they were portrayed. End stop. So, end stop. Is yeah. that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> I think it I is, think, but I'm not entirely sure. I think we're still figuring it out, which is interesting. And this is like the pendulum is just swinging a little further in the other direction. Yeah, and that's okay. I, I just think this was a this was a good one of all um, of the athlete produced. This includes the 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 last dance. This is the best one, probably. Yeah. And actually, I, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but the next doc um, that I hope you will watch that I watched after this was the Stefan Marbury doc, which even exceeded this for me. Um, so I've loved Marbury. I have some Starberries. I had oh, wow. some Starberries you, a long time love, ago. Yeah, then we, we will get to that and you'll love that doc. Um, so, but, but our test, there's no way there's a more captivating figure than our test. Oh, man. Yeah. Right? Am That's I crazy here? fascinating from i mean there i've followed the guy pretty closely and there were some things in this doc that i had no idea about um i love i love him uh talking about trying to sell drugs and he's just like yeah i'm not good at this <laughs> yeah, like, yeah 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 yeah. i'm not gonna do this this isn't for me was there was anything like, not in the doc that you really wish that they dove into because i'm like i said you're the runner chess guy i am not i'm just like cursory remembering like I remember that Kimmel appearance why wasn't that in the doc you know shit like that um just reading his Wikipedia page there's so much interesting stuff that's happened before this film was ever made that like I want to know about but is there anything you remember that you wish was in here that you deem important I think just as you mentioned like going deeper on some of the stuff like yeah tell me more about Best Buy who hired you what was your really quick Circuit City it was Circuit City I'm sorry Circuit City because as soon as they mentioned that in the doc I I double check P 
Pete Wentz suicide? Do you know who Pete Wentz is? Yeah, of course. Pete Wentz uh, famously tried to OD in a Best Buy parking lot. And I was like, holy shit, I hope it was it Circuit City? And did Ron Artest save Pete Wentz's life? No, that did not happen. Because um, that, no. that would be the I, same location in an area and it would fit the timeline. That's all. Okay, fair enough. But I, I don't I don't think this really missed much for me. I think it, it it touched on more than I even expected it to. There was a lot of stuff I didn't know about. I didn't know that he and Jermaine O'Neal were not friends at all, like ever, and that he was totally shut off in Indiana, and mm-hmm. that changes it. At you know, I mean, and think of this: Stephen Jackson being one of George yeah. Floyd's friends. I mean, like oh my that, God. coming full circle to that because at the time, the kind of language being used to describe Artest and Jackson specifically in this palace at the malice they were the two thugs because they were the ones in the stands jerseys kind of torn you know Jermaine O'Neal and Ben Wallace kind of stayed on the court Mm -hmm. and because of that I think the public was like well they were defending themselves but those thugs that went up into the crowd yeah Stephen Jackson comes out of this doc seeming like the most thoughtful and reasonable rational guy of anybody I don't know about that. I don't know because literally every single person in this documentary comes off well regardless of their stance about our test. No one comes (laughs) off as like a dick. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, and that's probably by design. I don't know about that because, like, I don't know about that. I think everyone came off well because they they were very truthful. And, like... (laughs) I didn't necessarily like love Jermaine O'Neal after this, but I was like, well, he he is for an hour and 50 minutes. He is not a fan of Ron Artest. And even during the last 10 minutes, he's still not necessarily a fan, but he's coming to an understanding. And that's all you can ask for. It felt like agreeing to do this doc was the first toe in the water of him being kind of OK with Artest. Yeah, I <laughs> would agree with that. Just like, and, and you know what? As much as like I wanted to be like, come on, Jermaine, give him a break. I understood. It made sense. Yeah. From Jermaine's perspective, you know, um, fascinating stuff. And, you know, I remember feeling a lot of empathy for Artest at the time of the Palace and the Malice because I had followed his career. I had known that he'd struggled with his sanity and that he was working with a therapist and when he laid on that, I remember watching it in real time. And when he laid on the scores table being like, wow, I'm proud of him. Look at him. Look at the restraint. You were watching this live. Yes. I watched this as it happened. Wow. Yeah. It was a, it was a game on a nationally televised game. I believe on TNT It was, but at the same, it it was a blowout by this point. It was, but I was in fantasy sports. So everything matters. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I'm watching this game freshman year of NYU, actually. Um, yeah, and I, I was actually at a party and like withdrawn in the other room with some other friends that cared, and we were watching this game. Wow, um, that is yeah, that is so rare. Like, my brother watched it live too, not even with me. He was also watching that game. A few of my friends were watching it. There was a time when, like, you know especially pre-league pass and all that stuff. Okay, like, I see. That's, an, that's a very good point. This is pre-league pass. There is only one game on. Yeah, if you're not watching oh, the Knicks okay. game, it's like Thursday night TNT, or I, this might have even been a Friday night game, I believe. That makes, um, that makes way more sense. But I remember at the time, and our t- this is the same Artest that's constantly suspended, constantly fighting, mm-hmm. throwing punches. And to see him get on that scores table and lay down, 
I remember in real time being like, man, look at him. That's I'm so proud of him. Everyone else is like brawling on the court and he has withdrawn himself. <laughs> Two things about this. Number one, Rodman and Larry Bird would lay on the floor all the fucking time because they had bad backs. Yeah, true. So, well, he was on the scorer's table. I understand, I understand. <laughs> but the idea of laying on the floor being disrespectful, which is brought up in the documentary, I don't necessarily agree with. I understand oh, like the scorer's table thing, but it's the exact opposite of like a bar fight. When you're going away from somebody to laying down, you're not going to be the one that's like throwing punches in a minute. Right, you're taking yourself out of it. Exactly. And that felt like such a big step for him. So it was so painful to watch what happened afterwards and empathize and be like, God, man, this poor dude. Okay, so let's and talk. We're, we're not going to focus too much on the malice, but really quick, last year during the finals, I want to say it was in Golden State. It was probably the biggest story of the finals that wasn't about Kevin Durant or about any other about where anyone was going to play the next season. But didn't like one of the minority owners of the Warriors touch a guy on the yes. Raptors? Yes. What exactly yes. happened? I don't remember the full story of that. Um, but I believe he was suspended. Yeah. For a year even. Yeah. I think he had to like sell his stake or something like that. He um, pushed Kyle Lowry and yeah. cursed at him. Yeah. Okay. That is to me the way it should be. Like you do that, you you don't get to be a part of this anymore. And the fact that like what really started this whole thing that really not started this whole thing, but the the thing that set off the the everything was the thrown drink. Yes, that it, was when the the line was crossed. Exactly. So everyone seemed to suffer from this. Literally everyone involved: the guy that threw the drink, the athletes that went into the stands. But at the end of the day, it feels like this is the fault of Detroit Pistons security. Oh, absolutely. And stadium Without staff. A doubt. Without a doubt. Um, to, to close out the combo on the malice of the palace, I do want to say my, that maybe my the funniest line in the documentary comes from Steven Jackson when he's like, you know, our adrenaline is on a million. We've just gone through basically like a traumatic experience. We're in the locker room and Ron's like, yo, you think we're going to get in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> that to me, that's yeah, oh, that's, that's great whole right there. I am. And, please go ahead. No, that's it. That's that's all I have on the Palace of the Malice. I uh, am Malice interested Malice. in Phil Jackson's thoughts about him. Hmm. But the fact that he's not in this documentary makes me think that it wasn't a big deal. I, I what I took away from this doc, and and maybe it's just the way it was painted. I kind of saw it as Kobe was partially a player coach by that point phil jackson's older i don't mm -hmm. think he had the energy to be as involved in every player's through line and you know mental state and i think kobe took our test as his project is what it seemed like to me and like, i would 100 percent agree that the that's phil, the way he got the phil jackson coaching through kobe basically i would agree that that's how this is portrayed but i am wondering if they got kobe to do the doc once they told Kobe, there's no fill in this, you will now see. <laughs> I'm not joking. Like the man that turned this uh, troubled child into a responsible adult. Possibly, but I don't really remember even much at the time about Phil and Artest and there being much there. And Phil is not shy about using the media mm -hmm. and 
being transparent about that. So I wouldn't be surprised if it kind of was like this. Okay. This felt yet to me like another piece of Kobe propaganda that he was the greatest player of all time. And that's it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And an amazing mentor and all this other stuff. But um, I do believe, and I, I had follow i artest is a great follow on social media and he was very 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 torn up when kobe passed and i i do believe in this kind of bond that they had and i i do believe in the storyline that they say where it's like kobe couldn't be any more different than artest is a kid who like grew up in italy and had a dad in the nba and all this stuff and artest is from the projects and like that pairing and the success of it does make sense to me. Uh, that's fair. Um, not to be a Kobe apologist, but so I it's think it it's does. not that dissimilar to Rodman, Jordan, Kobe, or Test. Like these guys are coming together really ten years into their careers, and they're both going to benefit from being in each other's lives. Oh yeah, no question. Although I don't know how much Kobe benefited, other than just winning another. He doesn't ring. get the ring. R- right. They well, never once say Shaq. By the way, did you notice that they no. Well, one of the guys, I don't remember which talking head, but he says something to the effect of like, this saved Kobe's legacy. You need to know that like Kobe's legacy was dependent on Shaq leaving and he could rent a ring without Shaq. He could go back to back without Shaq. That was what they right. were referring to. Yes. Yes, of course. Of but course. if you don't and know I mean, that, like, that's never explained. And I mean, if we, you know, Pal Gasol had a ton to do with Kobe's post Shaq sure, legacy. Sure, sure. Well, we don't even touch that, but, yeah. um, I mean, this, what kept going through my mind is like, this story could have ended so many different ways and more mm-hmm. tragic ways. Oh, yeah. Um, from like ultimate tragedy to even the unremarkable tragedy of like, he's suspended, he, he does his rap album, he comes back, he's not the same player, he kind of has an okay career and retires. The fact that this guy basically hits a game-winning shot in an NBA Finals to win a championship ring with maybe the single best post finals press conference I've ever seen yeah. of Ron Artest. I, yeah. I mean, unbelievable. The guy's just like pure elation and joy with his family there being so candid. Um, you know, he, he's, he's like, Kobe never passes. Kobe passed me the ball. Yeah. He passed me. I wasn't supposed to shoot, but I said, fuck it. And I shot it. I mean, it was just amazing. So it's such a feel good ending. The, I had no idea he raffled his ring off or what that I didn't know. I didn't know that either. I've legitimately spoken to dozens of people in my life that if you ever win an award, this is what to do. (laughs) If you ever win a ring, an Academy award or whatever, it's meaningless. You did, you did the thing doing the thing is the reward. And he was able to raise over a half a million dollars for mental health because he didn't want to keep a bunch of diamonds. Like what a brilliant man. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I thought so too. I thought that was amazing. Uh, uh, do you remember any of his time in New York? Because he was with the Knicks. Oh hell yeah, of course. Okay. It was unremarkable, but it was it was a nice poetic little like extra bonus chapter. I mean, we all knew it. He was <laughs> he was out of shape and old, and we didn't expect much at all from him. And by that point, it, it was kind of bittersweet because he, had, you know, he's met a world peace by then. He, it's you know. But to see him in the Knicks jersey was nice. Do you have a World Peace jersey? No. You know, I'm not, again, we've talked about this. I'm not a jersey guy necessarily, but I mean, the guy started one game for the Knicks. He played 29 games. Mm -hmm. He scored five points a game. He really didn't do much. 
So um, after he's with the Knicks, he goes to China and Italy, and yep, he's able to make it back to the Lakers. After yeah, all very bizarrely. They, they, yeah, they really don't touch on any of that. This is so um, fascinating. It is. It's weird. It's a weird end to his career, but I kind of think once he reached that mountaintop and mm-hmm. you can see the release and the validation, like, oh my goodness, like I've been through all this crazy shit, like, and here I am with my championship ring. I think that was kind of it for him. So it was you're like not, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. I'd say mission accomplished. I want to talk about after the 2017 season, once he's done with the Lakers, he plays with the New Orleans Gators of the Global Mixed Gender Basketball League. That's amazing, and I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know that that league existed. No, I had no idea that existed. Come on. Wow. Wow. And then uh, he goes to play for the Big Three, which is just a fun thing, and that's it. And he is currently married to, uh, I think, a model. Okay. Uh, yeah. Which checks yeah. out. Um, he seems to have a fine relationship with the ex- he put a kid through uh he's got a granddaughter or a grandson and he put a brother through law school. Yeah. I mean and he went back to school too. There there was that part of the yeah, doc where like, he got his degree. I mean that was awesome also. He had a break he similar to Michael Vick, he uh had problems with dogs and then later on became like a spokesman for PETA. I also didn't realize that last month he changed his name again. He did. To the model wife's last name. Right, to Meta Sandiford Artest. Yeah. So what that's a, what's going on. Weirdo, man. What a weirdo. But the fact that he's still alive and seemingly fine is very impressive. More than fine, yeah. He's like, you know, an advocate. He seems to be doing good things for the world generally. Um, It's, it's a hell of a story. Yeah. This is great, especially for, like I said, and I'm not going to let it go, especially for something produced by an athlete. This was great. Indeed. And I had known some of this stuff because I, I like, so Noriega, who, oh man, what was, there There was like a, a post credit scene with Noriega. Yes, yes, yes. Really, really good where it's like our test when he's talking about the best players of all time, shouts out some kid from the Queensbridge Projects. Mm-hmm. And Noriega's like, I was in jail with him. I've said too much. Okay. <laughs> um, but Noriega, ha- he hosts an amazing podcast called Drink Champs, which is whenever I get asked what my favorite podcasts are at like podcast thing. Because, you know, you know mm-hmm. for anybody that doesn't know, I ran Podcast Network and that's my whole career. Um, I always bring up Drink Champs when someone at NPR or something's like, what podcast do you recommend? I'm like, listen to fucking Drink Champs. It's like three hours long every time. It's complete anarchy. It sounds horrible. Like a mic is just put on a table. He'll take like piss breaks in the middle of the show. They get wasted. Um, but they'll interview rap legends, you know, cultural legends. And they had Ron Artest on the show once. So I did hear a lot about his dad and all that stuff. And it's amazing how all these legendary rappers from Queensbridge are like, oh, Mr. Artest was like the guy, you know, that yeah. was our dad. If um, you have Showtime, even- you should watch this. I'd say you should watch this doc because I think this is going to be fascinating for non-basketball fans. I think. Oh, I think so too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's not such a basketball heavy doc. It's really no. a doc about, um, it's a talk about growing up in the projects. It's a doc about mental health. 
Um, the fact that his dad acknowledges his own mental health issues in this documentary was interesting to me. Yeah. That it runs in the family and that they're aware of it. Um, yeah, highly recommend it. He's one of the best if only blank happened. Like if only he stayed with the baby bulls, what would have become of that team? Or if Jordan had stuck around one yeah. more year. Mm-hmm. Or I thought about this, if the Knicks had taken our test, mm-hmm. could he just like him. flame out instantly? He would have killed him. Yeah. You know? Indiana might that... be like the perfect starter team. True, to remove away from everything. But yeah. there there are a lot of what ifs, but I you know. In the end, I, the guy played with Yao Ming too. You yeah, know, what a, what a crazy career! All right, I'm gonna. As soon as this documentary was over, of course, I went to eBay to find some Ron Artest LA gears in my size. They don't make them in my size. <laughs> <laughs> I like that the subplot of these uh, sports doc podcasts is you finding the most ridiculous, esoteric uh, old man sports gear that you could possibly find on the internet. I want some Ron Artest LA gears with my Steve Kerr Bulls jersey. 